With the world becoming increasingly unpredictable when it comes to your family's health, proactivity is key. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit contains eight essential medications like ivermectin, amoxicillin, and z Rest easy knowing that their chief medical team, including Dr. Peter McCullough, stand behind every kit. Visit twc.health slash Prager. Use the promo code Prager for an exclusive 10% discount. Don't take chances. Secure your family's health today with The Wellness Company. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. This is the Friday edition. Hello, y'all. Here's a fascinating story. So, so typical of the times in which we live. It's from the National Post in Canada, which tells more truth than the CBC in a year. It tells more truth in a day. Sabrina Maddow, uh, Hamas murdered Vivian, that's the, the author is Sabrina Maddow, Hamas murdered Vivian Silver in cold blood, but liberals would like to pretend otherwise. Some in the media and government make it sound like her death was an accident. In fact, she was brutalized and desecrated to the point where she was unrecognizable. While over a month later, Israeli authorities are still identifying the remains of those killed in the October 7th terrorist attack by Hamas, that's how brutal, sadistic, and ruthless the violence was that day. One of those victims was Canadian-Israeli peace activist Vivian Silver, who was 74 years old. Until this week, Silver's family, friends, and colleagues thought she had been taken hostage from Kibbutz Be'eri, where she had lived but remains found in the community now confirmed that Silver was killed by Hamas terrorists. Killed by Hamas terrorists, that's about an objective statement of fact as it gets. Yet some Canadian politicians and media outlets can't bring themselves to say as much, continuing a concerning pattern of downplaying Hamas's atrocities with evasive language and euphemisms. CTV News ran a story with the headline, Canadian peace activist Vivian Silver, who went missing after Hamas attacked, attack has died. Has died. (laughs) It's like saying Lincoln went to the theater and died. As if she had first simply wandered away from her home and taken a wrong turn and then happened to die of natural causes. Following an understandable backlash, the story has since been updated with the slightly less insulting but still entirely inadequate headline, A Courageous Peace Activist, Son of Vivian Silver Says She Was Murdered by Hamas on October 7th. That a national news outlet can't bring itself to state the obvious Silver was in fact killed by Hamas isn't a display 
of objectivity, but of how some media outlets are skewing reality in favor of a terrorist organization. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie didn't fare any better. On Twitter, she wrote, Vivian Silver was a proud Israeli-Canadian and lifelong advocate for peace. I met her son in Tel Aviv, and he described her as kind, generous, and selfless. Canada mourns her loss. Jolie makes it sound as though Silver died peacefully in her sleep, rather than being brutalized and desecrated to the point where she was literally unrecognizable. This was not simply a loss. This was a woman who was slaughtered for no other reason than she was Jewish. It's difficult to imagine Jolie using similar language to commemorate victims of other terrorist attacks. Anyway, just thought I would share that with you. Canada, is it's an argument which country is in worse condition because of left-wing takeover of every institution, Canada or the United States. Here's another one for you. It's, it's sort of on Fridays I do this on occasion, just bang, bang, bang. Oh, God, I scared Zach. I, it was not a gun, Zach. It, oh, my God. Are you okay? Whew. Zach is here in lieu of Sean. Sean is uh, taking the day off to paint sketches of abandoned cats. It's a beautiful thing that he periodically does in service of the feline underprivileged. Child soldiers in blood feud, Sweden's out of control gang wars. Now this, I want you to understand, is from the biggest uh, French news agency, AFP, Agence France Presse. One night in September, teacher Thomas Kervin was awakened by gunshots in his apartment building in Uppsala. His neighbor had just become the latest target in Sweden's terrifying gang wars. Execution-style shootings carried out by quote-unquote child soldiers, apartment buildings rocked by bombings, innocent relatives targeted in vendettas, and the morning news summarizing the night's death toll all have become disturbingly routine in the normally quiet country of Sweden. No other country in Europe is seeing anything like this, said Prime Minister Ulf Kristersson as he vowed to defeat the gangs. Swedish legislation was not designed for gang wars and child soldiers. But we're changing that now. Sweden's gang wars have smoldered for a decade over control of the drugs market. But they took a drastic turn early this year when an internal feud led to gang members, families, and loved ones also becoming targets. The September 13th shooting in Kervan's building in Uppsala, 45 miles north of Stockholm, was aimed at the mother-in-law of Rawa Majid, the Kurdish fox and head of a notorious foxtrot gang, or the notorious. Anyway, there's a big uh, gang problem in Sweden, and the Swedes, like most European countries, were stupid, and they let in vast numbers of people from the Middle East. And, as I am wont to say, people may not bring their homes, they may not bring their money, they may not bring all their possessions, but they all bring their values. That's what people bring. It's the only definite that people bring to another society. That is why, on the opposite end of the spectrum, 
when people speak about, for example, the uh, mortality rate of, uh, of Scandinavians, that they live longer than Americans, but Scandinavian Americans live longer than the average American, too, because it's a values issue, not a national health care being paid for issue. That's why, like so much else in life, it is a values issue. So they let people in who make gangs and rape, the virtually rape-free Sweden, until they let in people from the Middle East. So what will the liars of the left do? The liars of the left, that is redundant. It is the world of the lie, the left. They will say that anyone who says this is, what is the word again? Islamophobic. That's right. They don't ask, is it true? Is it true is not a a left-wing question. Daily Kos doesn't ask it. Media Matters for America doesn't ask it. The You name the left-wing source. They don't ask, is it true? They ask, how can we smear? How can we deny? It's, that's, is it true? If you ask that question regularly, you have left the left. So this is true, and nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that the vast majority of the uh, gang, not gang, but uh, mob thievery is taking place with young blacks. So it's it's just not mentioned. Fifteen black kids just stomped to death a, a student, a 16-year-old student, and it is virtually unreported that they are black because the mainstream media are liars. They lie by omission, and they lie by commission. Can you imagine the 15 whites beat up? Uh, and, and the only reason he did was because he was defending a kid who was being bullied. Imagine 15 white kids had, had just uh, beaten to death a, a, a black student. Do you realize how we would know the black student's name? It would be uh, uh, universally disseminated by the New York Times and Washington Post and so on. So that is why we don't believe the mainstream media, because we have no reason to believe them. The difference between the New York Times and Media Matters for America is infinitesimally small. That's the, that's the point. Okay, 1-8 Prager, 776. I can't tell you how touched I am, the number of you who have written to me to tell me you've put a mezuzah up on your doorpost. If you don't know what I'm referring to, it's a, it's a major solidarity statement to make if you're a non-Jew for Jews. And uh, it's uh, I explain it. Go to DennisPrager.com and read my article, The Little Box That Could Change America. I would like millions of Americans to do this. It would change the country for the better. Natural disasters, airline cancellations and runway near misses, supply chain issues, inflation, rising interest rates, and sky-high government debt. This is Dennis Prager for AmFed, Coin, and Bullion. There's a lot in the news about what consumers can't control. So let's talk about what you can control. You can control how you choose to invest and protect your wealth. That's why I choose to do business with Nick Grovich and his company, AmFed, Coin, and Bullion. Now is a great time to own tangible assets like gold, silver, and platinum with over 41 years of experience and tens of thousands of satisfied clients. 
Nick will help you make informed decisions and show you smart choices, which have been proven winners time and time again. Amfed Coin and Bullion will sell you the right types of precious metals to get the maximum value for your money. Take control of your investments, as I have. Call Nick and his team at Amfed Coin and Bullion, 480-553-5282, AmericanFederal.com, AmericanFederal.com. Oh, you know what I wanted to bring to your attention? A discovery that I made. I don't think I read it to you. A Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, let me find that to you, because you will find this truly amazing, as I did. Just discovered it. A letter that Benjamin Franklin wrote to a pastor on June 7, 1782. The more I know of of men, the more I am disgusted with them. (laughs) Men I find to be a sort of beings very badly constructed, as they are generally more easily provoked than reconciled, more disposed to do mischief to each other than to make reparation much more easily deceived than undeceived, and having more pride and even pleasure in killing than in begetting one another. For without a blush they assemble in great armies at noonday to destroy, and when they have killed as many as they can, they exaggerate the number to augment the fancied glory. A virtuous action it would be, and a vicious one, the killing of them, that is humanity. If the species were really worth producing or preserving. But of this I begin to doubt. We regard, or at least we did until the, the, the fools took over, we regarded Benjamin Franklin as one of the most remarkable Americans to have ever lived, one of the most remarkable people very wise man. You can't be wise if you believe people are basically good. You have opted for wishful thinking, and that is the antithesis of wisdom. It's it's an incredible statement. How about this? Have Have you not noticed this since COVID? Humans are much more easily deceived than undeceived. Yeah, the vast majority of students are deceived. But it's hard to blame them, they're so young. But the staggering number of adults are deceived. And it's tougher to be undeceived because truth is not what humans are tempted to pursue. I have said so often courage is the most important value to making a good world. However, I am actually amending that to something related but different. The pursuit of truth is as rare as courage. And in fact, if you pursue truth, it means you are courageous. Hmm. The founders understood that the human being 
has a deeply flawed nature. There are some really good people, of course. But it's fascinating how he says, maybe it would be a good idea if the species... I begin to doubt if the... uh, if the species is really worth producing or preserving. I I believe it's worth preserving, but the amount of suffering is really stacked, caused by other people. I'm not talking about cancer or earthquakes. I just thought you, uh, you should know that. When a Prager 776, that's a powerful little piece that I discovered is an interesting piece from the New York Post. U.S. life expectancy data prove experts are literally killing us. America's public health experts somehow missed the biggest crisis in recent history, the cratering of U.S. life expectancy to near three-decade lows. Percent data from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. The last time Americans, on average, were living shorter lives than they are today was 1996. The drop puts us in the top big, top six biggest declines globally, leaves us overtaken by almost every other developed country. Okay, so what uh, what is their theory? So while Americans' actual base-level health was getting steadily worse and worse, our scientific betters were demanding universal masking and vaccine mandates, closing our businesses, shutting our schools, and letting the elderly die isolated in hospitals and care homes. The experts demanded these measures to stop covid Not only did they fail on that front, they ended up masking what's clearly a far larger and deeper threat. Given our high rates of alcohol consumption, something social isolation can worsen. These measures may even have had a hand in lowering life expectancy. The data show that, quote, premature deaths among Americans are a much larger and older public health issue than previously believed. Yet, as heart disease and obesity ravaged the country, our elite public health institutions shouted that racism is a public health crisis, made sure that adolescents could get cross-sex hormones, and handed out free needles to drug addicts. In other words, expert opinion, yet again, completely missed the central problem. When I hear experts say... My assumption is I'm about to hear either the obvious or nonsense. And overwhelmingly, that is the case. It's a, it's a big problem, because whom do you trust? That is a really big issue for many Americans who think about it. Prager here, and the administration seems to be set on giving Iran the greatest funder of terrorism on planet Earth, $6 billion. 
the Obama administration and now the Biden administration have given billions of dollars to Iran. It's almost, it's almost actually impossible to believe that this country would release such funds. Wall Street Journal, of course, opposes it. I'd love to know. I have to look, check the New York Times. If the New York Times will even have an, have an editorial on it. After the se- October 7th rampage by Hamas, which is armed and funded by Iran, many Americans wanted to know would President Biden still release $6 billion to Iran? All six Senate Democrats up for re-election in competitive states joined Republicans in calling on the president to freeze the money. This is a typical Democratic candidate tactic. They run as if they're moderates, and then they govern as radicals. There is no exception except Joe Manchin that I am aware of. No, no, that's not true. There might be one or two others, uh, but... 99% of Democrats, unless they're in a radical district, and some certainly are, Rashida Tlaib must be, Ocasio-Cortez must be, but generally speaking, especially Senate, because that's a a Senate-wide campaign, it's not just a a left-wing district, it's a whole state, oh, We're moderates. Joe Biden, he's a leftist. But, of course, they vote along with Joe Biden in every instance. Under pressure, the White House relented, signaling it will block the $6 billion for now, but evidently not because it has changed its mind on the wisdom of financing Iran. On Tuesday, the State Department reissued a sanctions waiver that gives Iran access to more than $10 billion. Oh, cool. The waiver first issued in July and now renewed for another four months allows Iran access to revenue from Iran's electricity shipments to Iraq. What do you think of that? That is beautiful. The State Department says this is necessary to keep the lights on in Baghdad. That oil-rich Iraq remains dependent on Iran for gas and electricity is its own scandal. But the excuse doesn't wash. The July waiver was part of an unwritten nuclear agreement with Iran. Giving Iran access to these billions could never pass Congress. So Mr. Biden bypassed Congress. And they yell about Trump being an authoritarian. The world of the lies, the world of the left. There is no comparison in terms of authoritarianism between President Trump and President Biden. There's no comparison. And yet every Democrat believes that Trump was the authoritarian and not Biden. What did I read to you from Benjamin Franklin? It is so much easier to be deceived than undeceived. Human nature hasn't changed since the 1780s. Indeed, it hasn't changed since 1780 B.C., The idea was to quiet the region until after the 2024 U.S. election. Ah, how did that work out? How little peace the money has bought is clear. Even on the nuclear front, new United Nations inspector reports show that Iran's stockpile of highly enriched uranium continues to grow. 
Reuters reported Wednesday Iran now has enough for three nuclear bombs. Mm, Now, my dear friends, if they were to use nuclear bombs, on whom do you think they would drop it? Let's do our famous multiple choice test. Ghana, New Zealand, Israel. Yeah. The United States is run by the Democratic Party. That is a terrible tragedy. 1-8 Prager 776. We return momentarily. Mike Lindell has a passion to help you get the best sleep of your life. He didn't stop at the pillow. Mike also created the Giza Dream Bed Sheets. These sheets look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep, which is crucial for overall health. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. Mike's latest deal is the sale of the year for a limited time. You'll receive 50% off the Giza Dream Sheets, marking prices down as low as $29.98, depending on the size. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the Radio Podcasts Square, and use the promo code Prager. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow 2.0 mattress topper, MyPillow kitchen towel sets, and so much more. Call 800-761-6302 or go to MyPillow.com and use the promo code Prager. It's the happy, 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 happy hour. Hey, everybody, welcome to the happiness hour. What was it, the statistic that I read to you about lonely young people are seven times more likely to become political activists? The happy do make the world better, my friends. What happened to our band? Why did you close? Were you angry at them? All right, everybody, it's the happiness hour. I never miss it, even during dark times, and these are dark times. One of the ongoing themes of the happiness hour has been, as I'm sure many of you remember, I have been saying you should date for friends the way you dated or date for a spouse. People don't. I've been pushing friendships ever since I began the happiness hour. What is it? It's not having, not having, what, what is the data? It cracks me up. You know, let me, actually I can, I can pull it up here. It just came in again. (laughs) About, what do they say here? It's, uh, you know, yeah, loneliness is as bad as 15 cigarettes a day, according to the World Health Organization. Loneliness, as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Well, frankly, I would much prefer 15 cigarettes and friends <laughs> to no cigarettes and no friends. <laughs> Fifteen cigarettes a day. I love these things they come up with. 
Loneliness is a pressing health threat. So I I discussed this in part last week, but I have a new one for you on this uh, related issue. What the longest study on human happiness found is the key to a good life. The Harvard study of adult development has established a strong correlation between deep relationships and well-being. The question is, how does a person nurture deep relationships? So they have a very uh, fascinating piece of data. Turn your mind for a moment to a friend or family member you cherish, but don't spend as much time with as you would like. This needn't be your most significant relationship, just someone who makes you feel energized when you're with them and whom you'd like to see more regularly. How often do you see that person? Every day, once a month, once a year? Do the math and project how many hours annually you spend with the person. Write the number down and hang on to it. All right? I want you to all think about that. A person that being with energizes you. You feel happier, gooder after you have been with them. So how often do you see that person? For us, the authors, Bob and Mark, though we work closely together and meet every week by phone or video call, we see each other in person for only a total of two days every year, 48 hours. How does this add up for the coming years? Bob is 71, Mark is 60. Let's be very generous and say we will both be around to celebrate Bob's 100th birthday. At two days a year for 29 years, that's 58 days we have left to spend together in our lifetimes. Is everybody clear on that? Yeah? Is that totally clear? So for in the next 20, at the rate that they're going, for the next 29, remember they see each other two days a year. So that means at two days a year for 29 years, they will see each other for 58 days over the 29 years. And that's assuming they have 29 years for the older one to live to 100. Okay, 58 out of 10,585 days. Of course, this is assuming a lot of good fortune, and the real number is almost certainly going to be lower. Since 1938, the Harvard study of adult development has been investigating what makes people flourish. After starting with 724 participants, the study incorporated the spouses of the original men and more recently, more than 1,300 descendants of the initial group. The initial group was very young. Researchers periodically interview participants and so on as the study's director, Bob, and associate director, Mark. We've been able to watch participants fall in and out of relationships, find success and failure in jobs, become mothers and fathers. It's the longest in-depth, longitudinal study on human life ever done. And it's brought us to a simple and profound conclusion. Good relationships lead to health and happiness. The trick. Ah. 
is that those relationships must be nurtured. Well, look at that. My theory is that the people who run the Harvard study listened to the Happiness Hour and simply wrote down what I said. (laughs) For the record, I'm kidding. But this is exactly what I've said. Nurturing, ah, nurturing friendships. Time. So I am with close friends, and there are friends that I have that this is not not applicable to, but among my closest friends, I am with them every bloody week of the year. Let's say, give or take, five or six that I'm, I'm, I'm just away for a week. And it's because of my Sabbath, my Shabbat, when I just don't work. And so I have both dinner Friday night and lunch Saturday with close friends. It did not stop during lockdowns. We lived during lockdowns exactly the way we lived before the lockdowns. We had contempt for the lockdowns because we know that the crap we get from experts is crap. The experts and the morons in politics who followed them hurt the American people for a generation. What was done to children in closing schools should make every single member of every teacher's union resign, but they never resign because they have no shame about their destruction of children's lives, not just over COVID, but about the educational system. It's fascinating how religion, especially the Sabbath, if you have one, is a built-in divine creator of the nurturing of relationships. If their theory, this is the longest longi- this is the longest longitudinal study ever done of human happiness, and I, I think that they're right in this case. Nurturing relationships means time. Time is a factor. What, a, what? That's why this this notion quality time with your children. I always found that fascinating. What does quality time mean? You spend very little time, but the time you do is really high quality. Quantity is a quality. One of my earlier lines. Do you nurture your relationships? When are you going to nurture them? Listen to the data on how much time people spend alone. Consider the fact that the average American in 2018 spent 11 hours every day on solitary activities such as watching television and listening to the radio. 11 hours in solitary activity. Now, when you think the average person, let's say, sleeps 7 hours, that's 18. So there's 6 hours left. Well, they're at work. Now people work at home. So there's even less interaction with human beings. Spending 58 days over 29 years with a friend is infinitesimal 
compared with the 4,851 days that Americans will spend interacting with media during that same time period. Wow. 58 versus 4,851 days. One eight Prager seven seven six. Do you nurture relationships? In other words, time. It's uh, it's dramatic how little time people spend with friends compared to the past. It is it, it is very unlikely that the average American spend as little time with friends as they do now because the. So much is spent solitary entertaining oneself. Used to be pre-TV, certainly, that people would entertain themselves by going and meeting with other people. I'm very curious how the work-at-home thing will work out because working at an office forced you to interact with people. Now, if you dislike everybody at the office, it's not a good thing. But what if you don't? What if you even like one or two? So now you work at home, and you watch movies at home, and you eat at home. Hmm. So they discuss discuss one guy from the the longest study of human uh, happiness ever made, the Harvard study starting in the 1930s. So they give the example of a man... He said, they'll call him Sterling Ainsley. I love that. I love that name, Sterling Ainsley. Uh, This was worth reading the piece just for that. Uh, Names come to my brain all the time. That's a name I would make up. Sterling Ainsley was a hopeful guy. He graduated from Harvard in the 1940s, then served in World War II. After the service, he got a job as a scientist and retired in his 60s. The year was 1986. George Valent, then the then director of the study, was on a long interview trek driving through the Rocky Mountains to visit the study's participants who lived in Colorado, Utah, Idaho, and Montana. Sterling had not returned the most recent survey, and there was some catching up to do. He met Valent at a hotel to give him a ride to the dinner where Sterling wanted to do his scheduled interview. When Valent buckled himself into the passenger seat of Sterling's car, the seatbelt left a stripe of dust across his chest. I was left to wonder, he wrote, the last time somebody had used it. Ah, that's a great one. Does the passenger seatbelt of your car have dust. I know for a fact that Zach's passenger seat, the seat belt, is actually corroded. It, it's, just, it's a bad sign, Zach. Yeah? Sterling was technically married, but his wife lived far away and they hadn't slept in the same room in years. They spoke only every few months. When you speak only every few months to your wife, uh, 
my background in family and marital therapy leads me to believe there's an issue. I don't want to jump to conclusions. When asked why they had not gotten a divorce, he said, I wouldn't want to do that to the children, even though his kids were grown and had children of their own. God, I got to do an hour on that. Staying together for the sake of children. Well, I, I did that so long ago. I can't believe I haven't done that in years. That's a very, very important subject. But this is absurd. I don't believe the guy. I think it's inertia. So his kids know mom and dad never see each other. That's great. But if they divorced, they'd be shattered. Well, that's, and that guy went to Harvard. <laughs> Maybe you have to go to Harvard to think that poorly. <laughs> Sterling was proud of his kids and beamed when he spoke of them, saying they were the most important things in his life, but he rarely saw them and seemed to prefer to keep his relationships with them thriving mostly in his imagination. Valent, that's the the guy who ran the study, noted that Sterling seemed to be using optimism to push away some of his fears and avoid challenges in his life. Yeah. He made, he made up the fantasy world that everything was fine. He didn't travel to see his son's new home abroad because he didn't, quote, want to be a burden. Even though he'd been learning a new language to prepare for the trip, he had another child to live closer, but he hadn't visited more than a year, in more than a year. He didn't have a relationship with his grandchildren, and he wasn't in contact with any friends. When asked about his older sister, Sterling seemed startled. My sister, he said. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I have a sister. Oh, my God. Now, this is a question. Is this guy's life at all typical? What did I read to you the other day? The, The percentage of people who do not have somebody they say everything to in their lives. I think it was 50% of Americans do not have a person in their life to whom they say everything. That, that was a very sobering statistic. I'm sorry to use me as an example, but the reason I do is you're, you're listening to me, A, and B, I know my life better than any other life. I would go out of my mind if I, if I couldn't say whatever I wanted to say if I hid, if I hid myself from everybody, as a dear friend of mine has noted, I am more open with millions of people than millions of people are with one person. Isn't that something? That is why, as I've so often noted, people come over to me, strangers, and they say, "I feel like I know you." To which I have always responded, "You do." Here's an interesting question that that leads me to ask. How many people know you? Well, you can't be known if you don't open up. This is part two of what I started last week. 
the longest study since the 1930s, same people on happiness done by Harvard, which doesn't mean a thing to me. I just got to tell you who's doing it. I mean, had it been done by Idaho State, I'd have reported it too. For older adults, loneliness is far more dangerous than obesity. So you can smoke cigarettes and be fat, but if you got friends, you're in great shape. <laughs> there you go. No, I, I, I'm, I'm laughing, but I believe it's true, actually. Ongoing loneliness raises a person's odds of death by 26% in any given year. The data that I gave you from this piece on how much time people spend alone, this, for the average person, there 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 were always examples, but I think for the average person, this is unprecedented. I mentioned to you what I, what I wanted, who did I mention it to? Was it Julie? I mentioned to somebody recently, I think, I, well, it was either, what's the difference? <laughs> I just like to be precise. And I don't like to repeat myself, even though, of course, I've repeated myself over the course of 40 years. Anyway, without repetition, nobody remembers anything. When I visit my son in Florida, and I see him fairly often because we work together in many in many arenas, so we see each other all over the country, but when I see his family, his kids, and because these are Orthodox Jews and they don't use electricity on the Sabbath, so the kids don't use phones. They don't play video games for 24 hours, usually 25. So what I see is something out of 1950s America, just a bunch of kids playing with each other all day. It's it's phenomenal. No electronic media, then you'll have fun with human beings. In a study conducted online that sampled 55,000 respondents from across the world, one out of every three people of all ages reported that they often feel lonely. A third. And remember, people are very reluctant to admit that they are not happy. This is the people admitting it, that they feel often lonely. One-third of the population across the world. Among these, the loneliest group, this will shock you. I'm not joking. This will shock you. The loneliest group were 16 to 24-year-olds. I know. You see, you're surprised. Exactly. 40% of whom reported feeling lonely often or very often. See, that's really worthy of exploration. Maybe some of you have a theory. One doesn't come readily to my mind. Why would the loneliest group be 16 to 24-year-olds? 
Is that normal? I'm just curious. I'm not being cute. Maybe it is. Maybe when you were 18 years old, you were lonely. Adolescence is not easy. Nevertheless, we don't. We certainly don't think of young people, and that's quite young, as being the loneliest people in the world. Forty percent fell lonely often or very often. In the UK, the economic cost of this loneliness, because lonely people are less productive and more prone to employment turnover, is estimated at more than two and a half billion pounds annually. They've established the UK Ministry of Loneliness. In Japan, 32% of adults expected to feel lonely most of the time. God, they expected to feel it. A, a third of the population. Cultivate the relationships you have. I'll go to your calls in a moment. That noise that you just heard was a reaction to the following sentence in a related article. An article in the Atlantic that begins, it's titled, let's see, what's the title? 10 Practical Ways to Improve Happiness. I love that. I love this stuff. It begins, here's some very bad happiness advice based on very solid happiness research. One, feel important. Two, be happily married. Three, be Danish. I cracked up because on the be Danish part, feel important and be happily married. I makes sense. We should talk about those separately, and, and we will. Be Danish. Do you know the people who laugh most? at all the reports about how the Danes are the happiest people. Danes. They they find the notion absurd. They think it's like a practical joke. I happen to know some Danes really well by sheer total coincidence. And th- they, they would laugh at this. As the writer of the book I'm reading on 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 Europe right now, it has a whole chapter on Scandinavian happiness. What are the, the data on suicides and depression and, and alcoholism suggest otherwise. But Danes complain less. So they're taken, it's like a shame in Danish culture to acknowledge that you're not happy. Back to our issue here. One final thing from this article. It never hurts, especially if you've been feeling low, to take a minute to reflect on how your relationships are faring and what you wish could be different about them. If you're the scheduling type, you could make it a regular thing, perhaps every year on New Year's Day or the morning of your birthday or Shmini Atzeret. Take a few minutes to draw up your current social universe and consider what you're receiving, what you're giving, and where you would like to be in another year. What I would say is nurture your relationships. I got a beautiful text from a friend 
who knows me really, 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 really well. I, I'm, it's actually a credit to him because it shows how incisive he is. So I want to read to you something. This is really sharing my life with you, but I don't know why I would want to hide it because if it could help people, it's a good thing. So here, let me see if I can immediately find it. It is, uh, all right, I'm not going to spend the time looking for it now, but I, I will find it. And and he noted, as a result of certain interaction, he said, you really take care of your friends or your friendships, one of the two, same thing. But And I, did, I do. And I, I do it as much for selfish reasons as for altruistic reasons. I've always known how important that is. Okay, St. Petersburg, Florida. George, hello. Hi, Dennis. Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. I, I am not a lonely person because I have a lot of family and good friends. But um, just a couple observations. When you said about easier to make friends at work than if you work by yourself. That is certainly true. Uh, I have a friend that for over 30 years and we met at work. But what the statement that I made to your uh, call screener is that I believe it's easier to find a friend in a bar than in a Christian church. That and is so provocative a comment that I'm actually going to write, going to write that down as a subject for an hour. Why do you feel that? Well, I've been, I am a Christian. I've been in a lot of churches. Um, as a leader in a few churches, my wife and I always noticed if new people were being ignored, not approached, and we would make it a point to go to them after the service, meet them, get their names, talk to them, find out about them. And I think that's the way it should be. But I've also been in churches where I wasn't a leader. I was just an attender. And one, one in particular I attended for like over two years and even went to the men's breakfast so I could get to know people and make friends and went to about 10 of those breakfasts with about 20 guys. And at the end of 10 meetings in those breakfasts, no one knew me, no one knew my name, no one cared anything about me. And it's, I wasn't feeling sorry for myself. I, it just it just girded up the notion that churches are very very cliquish, and if you're not in the clique, it's extremely difficult to get in there unless you spend hundreds of hours volunteering with groups or something like that. Well, I I am I am going to ask people about that. I, I can't comment. I, I and I wonder. If it's true, I wonder if it's true for synagogues as well as churches. But your the opening statement, it's easier to find a friend in a bar than in a church, is a little depressing. <laughs> uh, this is said by a, a churchgoer. I, my instinct is that it's not true, but nevertheless. You know, he didn't sound like he was out to lunch. All right, we'll take more calls when we return. 
It's not, by the way, I don't, I never have claimed that it's easy to find people that you can truly relate to. But the attempt has to be made, and the sooner the better. Did you know that close to 90% of pharmaceuticals in the U.S. are produced outside of the U.S.? So what happens when the next global crisis strikes? Countries clamp down on exports, they stockpile, the prices of drugs rise, and the pharmaceutical shelves in America are empty. That's where the Wellness Company can help. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit holds eight life-saving medications that every American should keep in his or her home. If you have Tylenol, you should have this kit. The kit contains antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics like amoxicillin, ivermectin, z and more. It also includes a 22-page guidebook with instructions on safe usage. From benign tick bites to extreme bioterror events, every scenario is covered. Head to twc.health slash Prager and grab your medical emergency kit. That's twc.health slash Prager. Code Prager to save 10% at checkout. This is the emergency kit that you want to have on hand. Be safe, be prepared, and stay well. Kits are only available in the USA. All right, everybody, this is the hour you set the agenda, whatever's on your mind about you, about me, about life, about death, about fountain pens, classical music, audio equipment, photography equipment, or cigars, and other subjects. But first, my friends, enjoy the music. Ah, I love it. You know, you may laugh about my cigars, classical music, audio equipment, photography equipment, I know, fountain pens. However, let me just tell you something. I just saw an article, again, again, I might add, let me find it if I can quickly. Maybe I can, and maybe I can't, and I can. Look at this, amazing, I have a new system, and it's awesome. I'm so proud of myself. So male to be proud of yourself. Guys, right from the earliest age, kids, you know, a boy hits the ball into the out. Did you see that hit? Girls that never do that. They're, they're, they're thinking the whole time how awful they are. Economist had a piece a couple of months ago, literally a couple of months ago. The importance of handwriting is becoming better understood. Research on pens and paper highlights their benefits. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> so you folks, like this guy here, Roy, who's laughed at me with my preoccupation with fountain pens, I turned out to have been right. It helps the mind to to write, not just type. No, fountain pen, just a regular old pen. Oh, so here you see he's a lawyer. It is so obvious the guy's a lawyer. Well, you could do that with a, with a ballpoint pen. That's entirely true. <laughs> truth. Truth is truth. <laughs> 1-8-Prager-776. What's on thine mind? Okay, let's see. Wow, wow, and wow. You know, 
I get this sort of question, I, I, so forgive me for not taking it. Somebody's calling in from Seattle, wants to know, why have you not interviewed, and then they put it in a name, who wrote uh, the following book? So I take it as a compliment that those who call in think I know every book published. That's, is there any other explanation for that question? <laughs> uh, I'm widely read and I'm aware of many books, but I don't know them all. Okay, let's see, everybody. 1-8 Prager 776. And San Pedro, California, Lewis. Hello, Lewis. Hey, Dennis, how are you? Better than the world. <laughs> I know. Uh, so I just wanted to ask if you've heard of this Dresden defense. I was just reading an article the other day about how uh, some of the, the Nazi Einstatsgruppen guys used the defense of our military bombing of Dresden as a justification for their individually going after Jews and killing them with one bullet apiece. And I uh, I, to... So, yeah, let me explain to everybody. It's called Einsatzgruppen. Einsatzgruppen, are, are the English is mobile killing units. I mean, that's not the literal yes. translation, but that's what they were called. People don't know this. They think uh, that nearly all the Jews were killed by gassing. Uh, that's not true. Uh, at least half the Jews were killed by the mobile killing units, is to the best of my recollection. Yes. And they would go into towns, gather all the Jews outside the town, have them strip naked, and then shoot them uh, and fall into uh, graves that they had the Jews uh, dig. And a certain percentage of them were not actually dead, but didn't matter. They buried them alive, family by family. It's It's beyond belief. I never heard that one of their defenses, I, I never even knew they had it. The only defense I ever heard that the Nazis offered after the war was I was under orders. I was only obeying orders. That's the Eichmann defense, the architect of the Holocaust. I was obeying orders. So, so I, Otto, I, yeah. the, head of, the head of the Einstatzgruppen, Otto Ohlendorf, used this defense in Nuremberg. And he said that since the Allies burned, uh, bombed Dresden so completely and killed civilians, that it was okay that they were that the Einstatzgruppen killed individual Jews with one bullet apiece. And I wanted to contrast that with what's going on today with the Palestinian sympathizers saying that. Uh, the Jews have, are oppressing the Palestinian population, etc. It's a, it's a perfect uh, comparison of the nonsense. You mean compare? Uh, so, so in other words, the Israeli bombing of Gaza is equivalent to the uh, actions of October seventh. That's correct. Yeah. It's, okay. It's, yeah. Yeah. Look, the, uh, that, that's that's what I would say a serious percentage of college students believe. So targeting families to uh, murder them and behead children, rape women in the name of Allah, and to do it deliberately and and take uh, gleeful pictures of it is the same as the the killing of people who are not targeted but who will die because they put humans 
where their infrastructure is. It's. I never heard that. It's it's so bizarre that Einsatzgruppen would have defended themselves. Well, you bombed Dresden, and we shot millions of Jews. I, I'm not the, knocking my caller, but if it's, I'm just saying, if it's true, it's absurd. Douglas Murray, one of the greatest living thinkers has made the point that Nazis would often have to get drunk before they did what they did, whereas uh, the Hamas guys reveled in it. Uh, now, I I do know that drinking often accompanied Einsatzgruppen. It didn't accompany the gas chambers, but it's dropping pellets into a room of naked people is not as direct as shooting them in the thousands in a day. Now you know why I have contempt when people say that people are basically good. There are so many flaws in human nature. One of them is that so many people believe what they want to believe rather than what is true. How, does, how do the people who believe people are basically good explain all these things? Do you know how easy it is to find recruits to torture people? It's effortless. It's probably easier to find somebody to torture on behalf of your regime or your, or in the case of the Islamists, your religion, than it is to find a, a talented CEO. All right, let's go to more of your calls. Stephen, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I know Cherry Hill well. You're right by Philly. Hello. That's it. Hey, how are you, Dennis? By the way, just out of curiosity, those of you who live in Cherry Hill, do you think of yourself as Philadelphians? Well, we all, you know, the, the same ones amongst us certainly root for the Philadelphia teams. It was what? The, the, the sane ones amongst us, the, you know, those who are sane amongst us root for the Philadelphia teams. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. Well, as opposed to what? You know. uh, the New York teams. Oh, oh two. Wash your mouth out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. Yeah, we're riding high, too. All right. You're king, you're king for a day, Dennis. Right. And the first thing on top of your list is to solve the Israeli-Palestinian situation, what are you going to do? All right. Stay on with me. And I will, uh, that, that's, you know, it's funny because I grew up in an era, those of you who grew up, or those of you who are baby boomers will remember, there's a popular TV show, one of the more depressing ones, called Queen for a Day. So now he's asking if I were king for a day. All right, so Stephen in Cherry Hill, where he roots for the Phillies and 76ers and Eagles. You got it. Yeah. Has uh, 
asked me, if I were king for a day, what would I do about the Middle East? Yep. So being king for a day, in other words, anything that I wanted would happen. But I, I obviously I'm not given magical powers. For example, I can't have the the Muslim, Palestinian, Arab mindset, Iranian, which is not uh, not Arab mindset, change to actually say, you know what? It's more important to give our people a good life than it is to kill Jews. Uh, so I, I don't have that power, correct? I just have the power. That I have non-magical powers. I, I would I would have to say that I I would probably pursue what Israel is pursuing right now. I, 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 the, the the notion that uh, they haven't said what's going to happen after the you know uh, the, the, yeah, what, what, so what would you do? What would you recommend? You know, the next two three months. Okay. Yeah. On? All right. So uh, I. Humbly note, I don't have a clue. I, I'm not sure anyone knows for sure, including Israel's generals who are pretty good. The I'll tell you what is clear. The question is fair because it forces me to explain what is clear and what isn't. This is clear. Hamas must be destroyed if that is possible. When we won World War II, we denazified Germany. It was unconditional surrender. There was no possible negotiation with the Nazi regime. The, the moral distinction between the Nazis and Hamas is zero. So that's, that's what has to be done. Unconditional surrender or whatever that would entail. Maybe, by the way, maybe that's not even possible since it's not a government quite like Berlin's government. I don't know the answer to that. I do know this. Israel cannot do nothing, as most of the world wants it to do, because of its completely distorted vision of proportional response. Proportionate response in international law is not, if you kill a thousand of my people... I kill a thousand of your people, and anything more than that is disproportionate. That that is not what proportionate response means, proportional to the aims that you have. Not proportionate to the numbers of yours killed. Far, I mean, mean, exponentially more Germans were killed, German civilians, than British civilians, let alone American civilians, basically none of whom were killed. So that's what proportionate means. Israel cannot do nothing. It seems to be taking a methodical approach, which I think is the best. And I don't know what will be. It's very, very hard. Some people sent me letters about how you have to distinguish between Hamas and the Palestinians. Nobody who wrote that letter knows what they're talking about. They literally don't. It's a made-up sweet line of the naive. Naive, Naivete, as I often say in an adult 
is indefensible. There is very little distinction distinction between Hamas and Palestinians. Most Palestinians, by every single poll the Palestinians have taken, support Hamas. Any uh, Hamas dissidents? Are there Jewish dissidents? Yeah. Any Palestinian dissidents? Hmm, how come? It's either because they all think the same way, or the ones who dissent know they'll be killed. Well, Jews don't always all think the same way, and if you don't think the same way, you don't get killed. And you still have the morons arguing for moral equivalence, like the professor of Jewish studies at UCLA, whom I debated years ago, said there's no moral distinction between Israel and its enemies. My fellow Jews do produce a a surplus of foolish people, I'm sorry to say. Departments of Jewish Studies are notorious, among other places. Okay, let's see here. Louisville, Kentucky. James, hello. Yeah, hello. Hello. Hello, Dennis. Uh, yeah. Um, I haven't heard you speak of this, uh, and maybe you have, and if you have, great. But if not, this needs to get out. And that is that I overheard our Kentucky Congressman Massey uh, speaking of a mandate uh, built into the infrastructure bill to mandate all the cars in 2026 on, that's just two years from now, to have a kill switch built into them if it sees impaired driving. Have you heard of this? No. Yeah. it's it, he, he was just on the House floor, and they voted on it, and he, he, he lost. Only two Democrats voted uh, in his favor to try to, to get rid of this mandate. And of the two Democrats, the surprising part is one of them was AOC. But, uh, <laughs> and like 19 Republicans voted against him. But he's trying to get that removed from that infrastructure. Now, what what does it mean? It will kill the car? The car will slow down? It it doesn't make sense because that will cause accidents. If your car slows down when you're on on a highway uh, and and you don't control, aside from which, how do you establish impaired driving? Is going slowly in the left lane impaired driving? Certainly is. Okay, everybody. I do, all I do is smile on this. Never ventured from his range. That is Prager here. Final segment. So let me uh, let me summarize some of your calls. This is really important. Uh, in Orange County, California, uh, what is the name? There's no name. D i n e. Is that, is that what is the real name? Diane. Dino, oh, D- Dino, in Orange County. Most Jews vote Democratic, so why should a conservative support Jews in Israel? I can't thank you enough for asking that question, though I admit the question is depressing. One does what it, what, what is right. You don't support Israel because it's a favor to Jews. You support Israel because it is right 
to support Israel, or it is not right. We don't base, I hope people don't base it, do, most blacks, even more blacks than Jews, way more percentage-wise, vote Democrat, so therefore should you not oppose racism? I mean, where, where, does, where does this end? Uh, I, it's painful that the question is asked, and this is not a knock on you, Dino. I, I'm, I'm actually happy you asked the question. You do what is right in life. And anyway, it's not a favor. It's not a favor to Jews to fight anti-Semitism. It is about as self-interested an idea you could engage in. Anti-Semitism destroys the societies that are anti-Semitic. There is no exception to that in the history of the Jewish people. If you want to commit suicide, allow anti-Semitism to fester in your society. America has been the most blessed country in the history of the world, and it is the country that has most blessed the Jews. Whether God is involved or not, I don't know. That's God's call. All I know is it's a fact. If conservatives start making up their positions based on whether they like the group that they're defending or don't like the group or whether the group does vote that way, so if 51% of the Jews voted Republican, then you would do it? Hmm. All right, that was really important. I don't know how many people that reflects, but it, if that's true, it shows that emotions have even gravitated to the right wing. We won't, we won't decide based on what's right, but how we feel. And we're insulted that most Jews vote Democrat. All right, Isaac, Nancy, Terry, Adam, Al, Howard. Boy, do I wish I could have taken your calls. I wish you all a blessed weekend. Thank you for listening. The Dennis Prager Show, live from the Relief Factor Pain-Free Studio. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525.